And these patients who shouldn't have received more than three milligrams in any 24-hour period were given on average 17.5 milligrams and they all died. Of course they did. Hey guys, Alex Newman here. We are at the Red Pill Expo and I am with Kate Shemirani. She is a nurse and a whistleblower who exposed some of the horrors happening in the United Kingdom, kind of like what was happening here in the United States of America. Kate, thank you for being with us. Um, give us your story. What happened? How did you end up here? So I was uh, working for a local radio as a health expert and also working as a nurse uh, for myself. And I happened to cover what was going on in Wuhan in February 2020. And I said, vector technology, inversion in the genome sequence. Um, and then I talked about 5G, so that had about 2 million hits within a couple of days, and I knew I was in trouble. Mm. So then people started contacting me to tell, and my, and my social media then went, exploded. So then people started to contact me to tell me about what was going on in the hospitals very quickly, within a few weeks. And they said, uh, we're being told to remove the food and water from the patients and not give them anything to eat or drink. And, and then they were giving them large doses of benzodiazepines and opioids, so they were effectively murdering them. Wow. Same exact thing was happening here. I believe that the documents began from the UK and the Americas. Uh, uh, I worked closely with Scott Shara. Oh yeah, they did something similar to his daughter. So we, we, the documents that were in the UK uh, we sent them to Scott to find the same documents in the States, and they're here. And this was way before COVID. Wow. This is the Palliative Care Funding Review of 2011. Whoa. And there's a preparedness document in the UK, and there's one in America, stating it from 2016, in the event of a respiratory virus, that the elderly and the disabled would be sacrificed. They're their exact words. So that was 2016. So this was. Uh, Whoa! This is so. This is all way before COVID. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Wowzers! Um, so when did you start exposing this stuff? So you want the whole story? Yeah. <laughs> so in 2012, I was. Uh, I had you know four. I have four children, and three were still in as you, as we call it junior school. One was in secondary school. I think you call that high school. Elementary school and high school. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was diagnosed with a really aggressive. Uh, breast cancer and I was reading the studies, three independent peer-reviewed studies, so 20% survival at two years, zero at five. So um, I was in the hospital and I had just had a double mastectomy reconstruction and they wanted to do chemo, radio, tamoxifen, zolidex and I took two books in with me, um, Dr. Max Gerson's report of 50 cases and the China study and so on day two I said I'm going home with five drains not the best decision. Wow. I went home and I began on the Gerson therapy and then it was to change my entire life and then my, my ex-husband was into the 9-11 Truth Coalition, Dr. Dr. Shemarani and and as over the few weeks different books arrived and one of the books came and he said oh I think you should look at this and it was G. Edward Griffin, A World Without Cancer. So I was doing five coffee enemas a day 13 juices, driving 90 miles a day to get my children to school, and I didn't tell anyone I had cancer. And uh, I was reading this book, so I began, as well as the Gerson therapy, the B17 tablet protocol, uh, mistletoe injections into my abdomen, high-dose vitamin C. Anyway, I wanted to know why did I have cancer, 
and that was when I became anti all vaccines, no vaccine proven safe, no vaccine proven effective ever, and pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, and I kind of then learned everything. I had a massive just a thirst for all of it and I suppose the two years rolled into four five six and onwards and I, I began I, I went and did a nutrition diploma which was rubbish just to get the, the letters and I began to minister healing to others and then of course I started lecturing and then I began um, you know interviewing people all over the world that had cancer that were all dying and they were all alive and well years later one forty years later and um, then I, I was kind of really well known on social media and I was doing a lecture and I blagged my way onto the local radio and, uh, and then said give me a job <laughs> which was where I had the, the health and wellness slot so I ended up then when it happened it was everything I'd already read I'd already read the committee of 300 agenda 21 by Rosa Corey uh, let non dare call it conspiracy I every book my ex-husband ordered I had a lot of time doing five yeah. enemas I would read the books and um, so as soon as they started talking about COVID I knew I knew straight away and I'd read a lot of work by Dr. Barry Trower, Professor Mosculu, Dr. Catherine Horton on 5G. So I knew for me that there's no such thing, none of this virus is anything, it's just toxicity and deficiency. So you're so toxic that your body can no longer process any more toxins or your liver, your blood goes through your liver every three minutes, the, the life is in the blood and we're deficient in vitamins, minerals and enzymes so we can't rally an immune response and that's it in a nutshell. So I, uh, when this all happened I just knew it was a lie. So I started shouting everywhere and it got louder. So then I got asked to MC the rallies in London, which I did, and was chased by hundreds of cops. Um, there were, the police were chasing you? Oh, there's a 3.2 million views video on YouTube still because all my social media was taken down and the video on YouTube you can see me being chased in high shoes with a cape <laughs> my suitcase went missing I don't normally dress like this um, so yeah there's that video is there of me being chased so I was I went outside the vaccine centers with a megaphone and my nurse's uniform on um, wow. I went everywhere when they started doing the 18 year olds like we, we got a vaccine center shut uh, I had death threats the, they doxed me the police printed my address. Um, they uh, arrested me outside Parliament. Uh, On what charge? And, um, originally it was a, a very old common law and it was public nuisance with intent to incite violence just for emceeing a rally. Wow. They held me for 32 hours and then nothing because there was nothing to pin that on. It was just to try and scare me and then whilst I was in custody they went to my home with my keys and took all my laptop, my phones, took my... I, you know, I, one of the things that's really interesting, I, I always take lectures, uh, uh, notes at lectures and I keep them in journals. And, and I know every journal that's there. I know exactly which one to go to, even without my memory's good and sharp. And I'd written out uh, the definition of genocide, and I'd written according to Amnesty International, and I'd written out uh, the 2006 Terrorism Act, and they were the two documents they took, which was quite interesting. I never got them back. I do hope they learned something. And uh, they kept me in custody 32 hours, and they said it was a political arrest. 
uh, went in my home and then they just released me and that was it. And then I was already arrested and de-arrested before that. And then, uh, you know, one of the times they sent hundreds of riot police into 35,000 of us, men, women and children. Police horses, they they beat people with batons. Oh my goodness. They did it all. So, so this is Britain, uh, supposedly a free nation, a democracy, as the Brits like to say. Uh, so so what's your the status with you now? Are you still being persecuted? And, and how do we get out of this mess? So I'm now a convicted criminal. <laughs> I didn't tell that on the Esther form. What were you convicted of? Um, I was convicted of a public health order because our prime minister, our, our gangsters, the tyrants who believe that they're in charge, um, they were all having parties and get-togethers when people were not I allowed. I saw that Boris Johnson partying. And they were, ours here too, Gavin Newsom. They were given £50 fines. So I was convicted. They said, you have to come to the court. And I said, I'm not coming to your court. So they had a five-day trial. I never went. They said, we'll arrest you. I went, on you go. They never did. Wow. And they convicted me in my absence of public health and they gave me three fines, 600, 600, 600. And court costs, triple six, 180 pounds. But I put a piece of, uh, on my bundle, it's a bundle that you hand into court, the reasons why I wasn't coming, I put a piece of scripture on the top of every single page. And they came back with it, because this is spiritual warfare. Absolutely. We're not fighting flesh and blood. No. So um, at the, we don't have a democracy. What they've been doing is changing the acts without telling the people. So it's now we are inalienable human right to protest. If you protest in groups of one or more, you can go to prison for 10 years. Um, Welcome to the new world order. Yeah, well, not my world order. I don't recognize <laughs> right. it. So I, I never did lockdown. I never wore a mask, wow. ever. That's I walked awesome. in authority. I was never challenged for not wearing a mask, never. Uh, I never was, I, when I went on the train on my own, there was no one on it, just me. No one, I went with a briefcase. Um, I had, a, you know, a bit of my stethoscope sticking out because, and I never, no one challenged me. Um, so they were doing, they were doing facial recognition on everyone on the rallies. So I did facial recognition with them because I did live streaming to Sons of Liberty Radio here. I did it just back oh, at them. wonderful. With Tim Brown and Brad. Yeah, Dean so I've worked for them now for three and a half years. Wow, I'm Saturdays. a huge fan of their work. You so that's see? Awesome. You missed my show. Yeah, small world. So I do a show every Saturday with them. Okay. And then I got picked up for TNT. So I work for TNT. Oh, fantastic. I love and TNT. So I do a show on uh, medical crimes and tyrannical times every Sunday. Wow. So it's at six o'clock Des Moines time tomorrow. But I'm doing it on my own tomorrow, but normally, unless you want to go on, normally I interview lots of different people, uh, and they just now they want me to have another show. I guess they like me. Wow, that's um, awesome. So I'm, con I'm convicted criminal. So the nursing board, they asked me to stand before them. And originally I did, and then I thought, why am I standing? Be These are criminals. <laughs> so our nursing board was taken over by the government in 2001, so I basically served each of them on that hearings, notice of genocide, all of them, including the poor woman taking the notes. And I said I didn't recognize their authority. And then I said that uh, if they contacted me again, I would, I would sue them for harassment and that under the 2006 Terrorism Act, I'm forbidden to fund a terrorist organization, <laughs> so I want my money back. And then I set up the British Nursing Alliance and it's my vision, because nursing, it's not nursing. If you look at uh, Henderson's 1966 quote of what a nurse is, it's someone who does everything for their patient, who would do it if they had the will 
the physical ability, the knowledge for themselves to aid them to a full recovery or to aid them to a comfortable, dignified death. And uh, so nurses now are nothing more than pharma pimps. Yep. And they're acting as whores for uh, tyrannical guidelines. So we have in the UK uh, these guidelines. So, so before I talk about the guidelines, so my vision is that the nurses will become true patient advocates. So they will be independently uh, employed by themselves, not working for a hospital. If they want to go into a hospital, they have to invoice. They do not come under the guidelines that come down from government. Is, is any of this possible in the UK? Yeah. I mean, you guys have the NHS. How would the that work? National Homicide Services. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. And, then, and the scare homes. So the nurses, so many of the nurses are leaving the NHS. The, they keep them, uh, we have the best, you know, it's the envy of the world. No other country emulates the NHS, no other country. So if it's the envy of the world, why not? It's a cult. If you look at the survival times, treatments available, uh, treatment waiting times, it's on a par with a poor Eastern Bloc country. Wow. So it's not anything to be envied. So the nurses, they're, they're given this golden um, pension scheme and the doctors, but it's a Ponzi scheme. It's not ring-fenced and it's unsustainable and they're now reporting in the press with 1.2, I think it's 1.2 million employees, it cannot continue paying them. It's a Ponzi scheme. So they gave all these nurses, uh, you know, all these discounts and they told them don't speak up, don't say, the hospitals were empty, they were putting the lights on. And so the nurses will be independent and they would come under the law as they should now, which they should and they do. And uh, many of the nurses are leaving and they see what I do. So I work as a nurse, not a registered nurse. Who would want that registration? A register to kill? So, you know, I do uh, avoiding and reversing disease naturally. We work backwards with the patients, um, identifying all the symptoms and getting them off their drugs, doing intravenous vitamins, which I can still do. And uh, So you do this all in the UK? How, how do people learn more? I have a treatment room in my house, okay. naturalnurseatmail.com. And so we just set all this up. So now we want to bring the nurses in and start training them to work independently, live among their communities, so they'll know the families. Uh, disease isn't genetic. It's just that the people have the same disposition, the same constitution, and they live the same, eating the same toxins. Educate the, you know, the women before they get pregnant. And uh, so what's actually going on in the UK, which is the, 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 is the kicker now, is the government, NICE, which is N-I-C-E, they, they gave guidelines to the hospitals for the doctors to follow, and it was NG159, NG163, NG191, 27.7, and these guidelines state it was anyone who was clinical frailty score 6, so that could be someone who's blind but has a full-time job. And uh, <laughs> I'm doing it for you. Yeah, thank you. Stop working in front of the camera. Um, so anyone who is clinical frailty score six, what it was, maybe they've had a stroke, they need help with washing and dressing. The doctor had the authority to remove all food, water, essential medication and put them on end of life. So now it's anybody over 18. Oh my God. And clinical frailty score five. So you these, these are, I mean, you're, when you talk about crimes and mass murder, I mean, you're not just using those words. That's like legitimately so what's going I on here. I tell you unequivocally, this is facts, what I'm telling you. So the electronic medicines is, uh, the, the site states you give um, 0.5 as a starting dose to anyone over 60. The guideline, which wasn't, just one doctor signed it off, 
uh, was, was to give 2.5 to 5 milligrams of midazolam, not even taking into account their age or comorbidities if they had other things wrong with them. With morphine, so now you have a synergistic effect, and all bets are off now, any anaesthetist will tell you that. And these patients who shouldn't have received more than three milligrams in any 24-hour period were given on average 17.5 milligrams, and they all died. Of course they did. So they moved 90,000 patients from the hospitals into the scare homes, care homes, and those care homes are owned by two companies. One is HC1, a rich Arab billionaire, and both of those companies, 93% of those companies have their accounts in the Cayman Islands. Each patient as they came out of the hospital was given a one-off payment to the care home, plus £3,300 extra on top of the care home fee for the week. So it was very lucrative to keep bringing new patients in. So if you give them a one-off payment as well, is this the cattle trucks now heading into the gas chambers? Sure sounds like it. So then they, they then, if the patient was then diagnosed with COVID, but of course they all were, then the undertakers were coming in and one undertaker told me, he was told to wait by the, nurse, the senior nurse in the care home. We have a few more ready that will be ready in a minute. One doctor told me that she walked down the ward with behind another doctor and the doctor went end of life, end of life, end of life, end of life. Just like the scene from Schindler's List where they shoot the patients in the bed. Tell me the difference. You're putting someone on an end of life. So in the UK, euthanasia is illegal. We have the anti-euthanasia bill, which Anne Winterton in 2001 was pivotal in ensuring that remained to safeguard the sanctity of life. And they have challenged that. So what they're doing now is when you present at the hospital, some of the elderly patients, they're coercing the relatives. If we put them on end of life care, then you won't lose all your inheritance because uh, uh, Jeremy Hunt, who was um, one of the people in, in the power positions, Chancellor of the Exchequer, who also used to, these people all work in the same cesspit. They just move around to different positions. He wrote Exercise Cygnus, the preparedness document from 2016, where they talked about the respiratory virus, and in the event of one, the hospitals would sacrifice the disabled and the elderly. That's actually written, you have a same document here, in the Obamacare, there's something similar. And so what they said was that they couldn't tax the rich anymore because they've spent the pensions. They would have to tax the elderly. So when you go into a hospital as an elderly person, they remove your liberties. They won't let the relatives take you home. And then they have the authority to draw down on all your assets down to they the They do the same thing here. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So now the debt in the UK is 300% greater than the spending. Capita, debt capita is 100k per, per capita. And so what they are saying is our population's going up and yet the debt is normally about 8,000 a month and half of those will be murdered on end of life care. Because end of life care is euthanasia, yeah. it's hastening a death. Yeah. We were at 20,000 in February, but what they're doing is they're bringing in non-EU immigrants to prop up the population. So there's a document, and this is the this is the real important bit. There is a document in the UK. Please don't take my word for it. Go and look it up. 
is called the Palliative, Palliative Care Funding Review of 2011. And on page 64 there is a box and it goes through the age demographics 18 to 25 up to 65 plus and it goes up to 2031 and in the 65 plus the death rate exponentially increases up to 2031. Now if they're going into the care homes and giving the elderly COVID booster, flu shot, shingle shot, pneumonia shot, you'd think they're trying to save their lives, right? So why would the deaths be increasing? Because they're killing them. So what they're doing, this palliative care funding review, it states that they're going to be broadening and incentivizing palliative care. So we have in the UK, this is fact, as God's my witness, it's called the Planned Tariff Incentivized Euthanasia Point System. And it's called Population Triage. So when you present, depending on how old you are, this is why they want the whole digital system scan in with your number. How old you are, how many comorbidities you have, how many years of work you have left in you, how much national insurance and tax you pay will determine under algorithmic medicine what care you personally get. And it might not be the same as... Personalized health care. It might not be the same as the person the same age or the same diagnosis next to you, which is what Scott Shara and his wife discovered when their daughter was murdered. Grace. Mm -hmm. And they mentioned all through her documents that she was Down syndrome. Now, one of our leading newspapers, I believe it was The Guardian, in the autumn of 2020, covered the story, Population Triage, and they were summoned to Parliament by Boris Johnson. So in, in 2019, the amount of people that had to be euthanized every year in England and Wales in order for the hospitals to get their money to fix the roofs, do the electric, because the hospitals are judged on their success by how many they put on end-of-life care. So in 2019, it was 549,000 annually. By 2020, it was 599,000, which is 1,642.5 patients must be euthanized every day in order for the hospitals to get their money. So you would get to the near the end of the month and if they were below that, they'd get no money. So they have to rank up the killing towards the end of the month to get. Now, it's 750,000 annually. We have a 365 day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, golden line, it's called the golden line, where anybody can ring up and they can access this end of life care pack. There's enough in that pack to take a hippopotamus out. And we also have a document which during the, the convict, anybody, any lay person could administer these drugs. So it's a bit like this. Dilling, dilling, hello, end of life care line, how may I help you? Uh, my, my loved one's not very well. If they cut their finger, we'll send the pack out. I'm not going to kill them, am I? No, no you're not going to kill my loved one with those drugs. No, dear, you're going to kill them. So you're killing your own loved ones. Now the paramedics in the ambulances have the authority given via the rate from a doctor. You can give these drugs in the ambulance and they even in that pack of drugs is hyacinth. Are you familiar with that? It dries up the secretions in the throat. So when you stop swallowing, which is a telltale sign that you're 
death is near, you now lose the ability to swallow, so the saliva collects in the back of the throat. So as you exhale, you hear the rattle. It's called the death's rattle. So they introduce hyacinth in end of life. We're not talking about intensive care where someone is vented. They use it there, but in end of life care in the home or a hospice, they give the hyacinth because the nurses find it distressing and the, and the relatives don't like to hear this rattle. They're giving this in end of life, and it is my 100% belief that this is to hide the fact that they think they're helping their loved one making them comfortable but they've actually just administered a lethal dose this is so wild kate i, I wish we had more time I yeah I, I, where, where can people follow you and and keep up with this incredible stuff you're exposing uh, please listen to tnt radio which is 11 a.m gmt every sunday medical crimes in tyrannical times tomorrow will be a bit off the wall because i'm here uh, but every sunday i bring different guests on i'm on sons of liberty every saturday Today, which is I think it's 6 a.m. Carolina time but I do it at uh, 1 p.m. British summer time. I'm on Awake the Nation on a Thursday. TNT want me to do another show. You can email me. I do avoiding and reversing disease naturally and I I know my onions. Uh, so naturalnurse at mail.com. Um, the last part of my healing journey is to minister to others. Right. So, oh, uh, awesome. yeah. Kate Shamarami. Uh, and I'm on Twitter now. Elon Musk gave me my Twitter account back. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Kate Shamarani. So uh, I only had it for a few months. I had 20,000 followers. And then when uh, they gave me my account back, all of a sudden, the paper did a huge expose again on me. I'm the most, the most dangerous woman in Britain. There's a Twitter page, uh, sorry, a Wikipedia page that no one can you know, alter. Please, someone go and alter it if you know how. So I'm back on Twitter as at Kate Shamarani and I tend to, I put a lot of the documents and stuff up there in the latest news. Excellent. I put it all up there. Well folks, go follow Kate and uh, thank you for tuning in. We will have more from the Red Pill Expo soon. Thanks for watching. Imprisonment, forced labor, permanent separation from my family, perhaps death. I knew what could happen to people who were caught trying to defect, but the watchtowers stood yards away. The possibility of a new life in a different world, one without tyranny, was within sight. The West. I thought of the rewards no longer crushed under the boot of communism. I would work and make money, no longer restrained by the chains of collectivism. I would say what I wanted, without fear of spies and informants nearby. I would be free. The frozen rain and Romanian mud seeped through my gloves and cloths. I fantasized about the fire burning in the wood stove of my parents' home, but I pushed those thoughts from my mind, closed my eyes, and waited for the cover of the darkness. Get Defector, a true story of tyranny, liberty, and purpose by Mark Hobavkovich with Paul Dragu. A thrilling page-turner that will remind you how precious yet vulnerable freedom is. Available at shopjbs.org or Amazon. For a limited time, get 20% off your entire order using promo code DEFECTOR20 when you purchase DEFECTOR at shopjbs.org.